Welcome to Awakening. I'm your host, Dr. Jenny. On this week's episode, we have interior designer Carolyn Gold on to discuss the idea of intuitive interior design and how to use our senses in order to make our environment and our space more conducive for a healthy way of living. Carolyn was raised in Mexico and immigrated into the United States uh, following her teen years. She has had lots of exposure to arts and culture and talks in this episode about how her upbringing definitely helped steer her path into an interior design career. She also candidly talks about why traditional schooling was really difficult and helps remind us that there is more than one way to learn and that many of us have passions and other ways of seeing the world that need to be honored and respected during this time of great transition. We also spent some time talking about how difficult it has been during the COVID uh, pandemic to create a space that is appropriate and functional for families and for children. And uh, Carolyn has spent some time talking about some tips and tricks that we can start implementing now uh, as we begin to transition in some places to spending some time at home and some time in the office. I also very much think this episode is really important for anyone who's starting a small business or going back into a corporate position. Uh, to help you understand why it might be the environment you are working in that is creating the difficulties in your energy that is leading to symptoms of fatigue or difficulties managing whatever is going on in the world right now. Many of us have become more and more sensitive as we were isolated during COVID and the easiest thing that I've personally found and that Carolyn reiterates over and over again is that the design and the color of our spaces will either make or break our happiness. So not only is this a fun episode, but this is a reminder that the divine feminine works on the material plane and that seeing things of beauty, seeing nature and making life a little bit more sparkly or fantastic is actually the work of the divine feminine and there's psychology and there is energy reasons behind why this is important. Also, I encourage you to listen all the way to the end where you talk, where Carolyn talks a little bit about what she and her husband are up to since this is February and we're starting 2022 remembering all about love. Um, while we don't go into it, it's important for you to know that Carolyn and her divine counterparts met in 2017 and Carolyn is at the age of 60. So not only is this a really wonderful episode that gets us excited about trying to reinvent our spaces for our own mental health and wellness, um, but this is coming from a woman who found love again later in life and that she and her divine counterpart are now doing really fun, amazing uh, um, things connected to bringing this idea of change and transformation into their business and hopefully into your home uh, in the future. So listen to the end where you can hear about her husband's book, just this brief snippet about how they met and how they are incorporating intuitive design and transformational coaching in their business to help change not only your physical space, but to change your psychological well-being. 
This was a fun episode for me, and I really hope that you enjoy it. Hi, Carolyn. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so excited to speak with you. I know that when we had our initial phone call, our conversation went into many different directions because you are a multi-talented woman with um, a lot of life experience. And I'm just excited for the audience to kind of get to know you. So can you let us know what you're currently working on and just give us a brief overview of the wonderful experiences you've had to date? Absolutely, thank you so much. Uh, my name is Carolyn Gold. I live in Dallas, Texas currently. I've lived here for quite a few years. Uh, originally, I was born in Mexico City. And so the inner Latina is always in me. I think in Spanish, I do math in Spanish, that never goes away. <laughs> and um, I'm a, I was trained as a classic interior designer, shall we say, but along the way, I saw that I could help clients in a very different manner. And so my profession became more of a healing art um, I discovered that interior design had a lot of power in how people functioned, um, how people slept, ate, thought, worked, everything. So I started steering my, my um, business in a different direction. And I feel that's my gift and my calling and my obligation to share things that I have picked up along the way from intuition, personal experience, observing other people. And so my initial business was called Sensory Interior Design. And now I have the goal touch. And so now I describe myself as a sensory interior designer. So what was once a title for business is now my title as a professional. I think it's fascinating. You know, when I did more date coaching work, the number one thing I used to do with clients to kind of figure out what was really going on in their personal lives was go visit their homes or apartments. <laughs> I can't tell you the note, especially because I was working with young men, usually under the age of 40 in New York City. Um, how eye-opening that experience was to go into their apartments and their homes and to realize that we had so much healing work to do just based off the fact that they didn't have a coffee table or that the only thing in their home was gaming equipment and they were wondering why women would not stay over in their homes. So I feel like, <laughs> wrong with that picture? <laughs> I feel like my past life and um, of doing that work and us connecting is definitely faded. Um, can you talk a little bit about your experiences learning about environments and learning about how design can really impact our kind of just psychological well-being. Sure, it really was, um, I'll just briefly say it, it probably started as I was a child. My mother, who was incredibly creative, did not have a background in design, but had an instinct for design. She designed our home, she designed the furniture, she was a project manager. I don't know where that all came from because she was an English and phonetics professor. <laughs> <laughs> somehow that was the other side of her. So I, that's all that I've ever known. 
and um, there was always a lot of light. Our whole house was built around an uh, inner courtyard, so kind of a Moorish uh, spin in a very contemporary fashion. So sunlight was always a part of who I was. And as I became a professional in design, I noticed how poorly lit people's homes and offices are and how important that is to how we feel. Our state of mind, can we focus? Are we in a good mood? And so the first thing I always addressed with clients was they always wanted, well, what color should I paint my room? And I'd say, right now, I need to know what the room really looks like. <laughs> I need to correct the light. I will not pick paint when it's a rainy day because I can't read the light in your house without it. And at first they'd be very frustrated and then they would, they would reap the benefits of my persnickety behavior about lighting. Um, as a designer for many years, I saw how people were traumatized by change. Like if it was a couple, one wanted to do it, one said, why do we need to do it? The stove works. I bought it in 1972. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> and so there was always like a battle. So I became not only an interior designer, but a marriage counselor, mediator, everything. And so you really have to be, or I was very finely tuned to my clients' emotions because I'm very sensitive, a very sensitive person that's a good thing and sometimes it's not such a good thing because I would pick up their emotions too and I'd go home wiped out, but I knew eventually I'd be able to help them. So um, the expediters of the company that I worked for started referring to my clients as your next patient is, I mean, your next client is Mr. Smith. <laughs> so it just became my thing. And then when I went out on my own, I realized there's something here that I really need to explore. Yeah, I mean, I can't, there's just such a long history, at least in the field of psychology, that we don't necessarily talk about more collectively, but there is a ton of research and a ton of understanding that A, lighting, but B, the design of an office, a design of a hospital, a design of your home will make or break your mental health. And I, and I think right now, since we're kind of coming out of the pandemic and having all kinds of mental health problems. No one is talking about, you know, whether or not we redesigned our homes during the pandemic. And no one's talking about the real reason why we don't wanna go back to the office, which is usually, it was designed by a frat boy man who doesn't know anything about lighting or um, making people happy. So when you kind of been reflecting on what people have been through for almost two years, from the interior design perspective, like what thoughts have gone through your head um, during this crisis. Yeah, thank you for asking that because it's on my mind constantly in many different realms, but especially having to have a functioning home, an office for one or two adults, and a school all in one spot. <laughs> yeah. And the parents are not equipped to be teachers. They shouldn't be. I have friends who are professional teachers who couldn't do their job because they were being the moms of the children that were being homeschooled. It was just, it's the dynamics and where we are now, it's, it hasn't changed really. We're still exactly. at that spot. So my, my thing, shall we say, is 
helping people view their space like an empty box. And we pour everything out and we just put in the right ingredients. It's like a, it's a sensor diet. It's a diet to feel healthier. You only put in what you need. Usually people have more than enough than what they need. I'm usually removing mm -hmm. unless it's a guy that only has a pool table in his dining room, which I have definitely seen. Workout equipment. Um, but it's usually lighting, paint, moving things around. I'm finally tuned to sensory overload. And there are a lot of things that people are not aware that really make noise in their heads. Shapes, textures, certain colors. And it's, it's fascinating. And people, I don't expect them to know it because who would think about that other than myself, right? So um, I love sharing that with people. My youngest clients are infants sometimes, babies, and how different their mornings are and their nights are. And so, yeah, that's my mission right now, especially in the last two years, is like, how do we make your space multifunctional and that it works for everybody? It's not always a magic wand moment. It takes a little bit of thought and definitely um, being invested in the process of being ready for transformation and being ready to change and keep it that way. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I had an experience, I was working in um, Vancouver, Canada at a private practice during the pandemic. And I had to, I wasn't there very long, mostly for this reason, because I wanted to redesign the office. And I wanted to redesign the office because the chairs in the office were orange. And I to be a very emotional person already, but everyone was losing their crap during the pandemic. So I didn't need them sitting on a color that was like supposed to open up more emotions. I kind of needed them to calm down. So I seriously just requested some, you know, more neutral colored chairs. And like this like caused like such like an ordeal because it was a child oriented clinic and they wanted the color. And I'm like, you don't understand what orange, orange means. Ooh, that's heavy duty. That's so wonderful that you're so aware of that because most people think, yeah, happy colors, happy people. No, happy colors, anxious people. Happy color, anxious people. And then we were all purging sexual trauma and we're not going to go off on like a tangent on that, but I don't need my sexual trauma victims sitting in orange chairs <laughs> right now. Um, so I'm gonna guess that like that's basically a lot of the work that you do is kind of walking in and from like a psychological perspective, knowing after doing an interview with your client, like knowing what needs to go and what needs to sit pretty quickly. That's right. And I part of my process is um I call it the hue are you. It's a play on words, so it's the letter H-U-E, are you? Um, and it's a, a series of conversations and questions to get to know them better. But sometimes they discover things about themselves they had no idea. So for example, let's say um, you had an office with an orange chair and you're sitting in it. And I ask you what your unfavorite colors are and you'll say orange. And I won't say anything at the time. I'll go, isn't that fascinating? This lady is not aware that she hates the color she's sitting on every day. And color, scientifically speaking, emits vibrations and frequencies. So it's not only altering her, it's altering the people that are looking at her sitting on the orange chair. This has got to change. 
So it is fascinating. So I just find very gentle ways of sharing information with people and ask maybe somebody very dear to her gave her the orange chair and that's her connection with the person. And she sees beyond the color because she loves the person that gave her the chair. So that's interesting. And sometimes we have to work around that. But normally people, by the time I show up, they're very open to, you know, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I have definitely been in that situation. My last New York apartment was a very small space and I knew it, I knew it had a lot of potential and I tend to be very intuitive with my own, like I've learned through the years. My family was involved in like art and design. So we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but um, there was just something about like the location of the um, the radiator that was throwing everything off and I could not figure out what to do. And so a friend referred me to a professional designer who came in and probably within 45 minutes was able to like problem solve the whole thing. I think it was probably the best money I've ever spent because I think when we think of interior design, we feel like we can't afford it. And so that, but then if we count the number of hours we have spent trying to do it ourselves, like we could have paid someone five times. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And the upset, you know, if you're yes. that sensitive to it, all those hours of frustration and discomfort, it's gotta be worth, worth yeah. it for you to get that corrected. Yeah, yeah, I know. And it made the entire energy of the apartment shift, which was, I learned, important given the history of that building um, and the history of many buildings in New York City that you have to take, take into account. Um, so can you, so we know that you're highly intuitive and you are basically a doctor to your, well, a doctor in quotes, but a doctor to your interior design patients. Um, when you were a kid, I know you spoke about your mother and kind of the space that you were brought in, up in. Were there other people or other experiences that you had that kind of propelled you into a more creative career path? Oh, yes. Um, my mom and her two best friends, the three of them are very creative, art-loving women. One of them, who just celebrated her 94th birthday, um, was my art teacher when I was six. She's an Italian woman who lived in Argentina for a while and then moved to Mexico City. And she was a very well-known painter. And she decided to invite all the children of the women she was friends with on a Thursday afternoon and create an art school. So the moms could go have a cappuccino and be women. Yeah. And, and Sylvia would teach us. So I was exposed to colors, textures, scents, sounds, everything. It's just like I woke up at a horrible time in regular school, horrendous time. But in art school, it was a dream. And she was so talented. Um, and generous, she would have uh, uh, an exhibit for us every year in a real gallery. And the main newspaper of Mexico City would feature us in an article. Talk about validation. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a very shy, very sensitive little girl. And this was, this is what I needed. And so I, I aged out of the school 
And, um, but her influence and in just growing up in Mexico City surrounded by color everywhere. And because there's flowers and there are art galleries, I mean, there are flower shops everywhere, flower markets, fruit, vegetables. Um, you're surrounded by beauty, physical beauty. So the art reflects nature and vice versa. So I was always around beauty. And I'm just very fortunate that I was able to follow a career that allows me to continue to share that with people. So when you said, what, how old were you when you were no longer allowed in your childhood art? <laughs> I was probably in my teens. Okay. And, um, I did my last year of high school in the States. So had I not aged out, I would have had to leave anyway. And then when I went back, I, I had, a, I went to an art class in my early twenties with a young man who was like Michelangelo talented. And he took us to um, the Modern Art Museum that was very new at the time and had art critics walk through the gallery with us and tell us the story of each artist and where they were in their life when they painted this. Mm. Talk about eye-opening. Yeah. You think, why did you ever come up with something like this? Once you hear what was happening at the time, it makes perfect sense. So that was fascinating. So all of this has all been brewing in my head for years. Yeah, no, that's a very special experience because in the art world, um, it's not like they put on the plaque anything usually about the artist's personal life. So you don't really understand who this person is. You're looking at the plaque usually as like the size that like the medium it was done in and some other technical information that only another artist would really understand. And um, I've always, you know, as a psychologist, I'm always interested in people. So I've, I've always gone into art galleries and asked people, like, what's the story of the artist? And, and many people working um, and the galleries don't have an answer to that question. Um, so to have like a master level person be able to do that for you at such a young age, that, of course, that made a huge impact on your career. Yeah, yeah, my mom took us to the theater, foreign films. I mean, any any exposure to art was always available, which was incredible. Her other close friend uh, was into fashion. So mm -hmm. between fashion and art and architecture and design, I really had everything that has molded me. Yes. Wonderful. Yes. So when you came to the States, were you um, transitioning into art school or did you have this experience of uh, being around American students that did not have the same exposure as you did? Um, I, when I moved to the States permanently, my mom was American, that's where my English comes in. So I'm very grateful for her uh, teaching us two languages at the same time. Um, for a while, I, I just had jobs that used my bilingual abilities, but had nothing to do with my artistic abilities, because I couldn't even think in that direction. I needed to find a job, and I thought, okay, here's something I don't have to work at. I'm bilingual. There you go. So I worked at travel agencies and um, 
but then there came a point where there was something else that was gnawing at me. And so I did go to design school in DC and it was called the International Institute of Interior Design. And there was like one student from every country in the world, it seems. So we all had different cultures, different perspectives. I had one year to do this. I took a, a year off of my life and I completed a three-year course in one year. And so I thought, wow, this is, I've never gotten A's in anything before. <laughs> this is obviously it. So goodbye travel agencies, I'm done with that. And, um, and I knew I had found what I was hoping that I could do turned out that I could. And um, then after that, I'll, is when I moved to Dallas permanently. And um, this is where I've had my career, though Dallas is a very interesting city. It's taken a long time to acquire the sophistication. And I don't say that in a, in a bad way. It was just a, a, a city that grew up on cattle and oil. Mm -hmm. And so it took a lot of Northern influence for people to, to start bringing in what I was spoiled having in DC and Mexico City. And uh, now there's so much I could never catch up with it. <laughs> it went in the other direction. So you, are you specifically referencing the appreciation for art and design? Yes, um, Dallas was always a, a fashion center, like the World Trade Center was here. People from different states would travel to Texas to shop at the World Trade Center and Dallas market. It's always been that. So being at the latest in fashion and interior design was a Dallas thing. And so that worked for me. DC, though it was a fabulous city and it was the closest thing I had to Mexico City because it was so international, that the taste, shall we say, is very conservative. Yes. And I knew that I wanted to grow past uh, Virginia uh, homes with beautiful columns, that there was more that I wanted to do. Yeah. And so I had the opportunity to do it here. Okay. That's very interesting. Um, and I'm assuming you've done a lot of travel. Um, is there any particular city with regard to like design aesthetic that you just really love going to? Um, I'm very drawn to Mediterranean um, design. So things that are Moorish, Spanish, Greek. I love arches, soft corners, textures versus brick. Mm -hmm. um, so things that are much more sensory from my point of view, like walking through an archway is a very sensory experience. It's like an architectural hug. I like just standing under an arch. It just feels good to me. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I appreciate modern architecture, but it, it's not something that touches my soul. It's more brown shapes and textures, softer textures. Now, it's interesting that you can, when you're in a space, that you actually feel the energy of yeah. the architecture. Yeah. Was that something you experienced as a child, too? Maybe, but I didn't know it. No. I, I started picking up on it as I 
was getting closer unbeknownst to me to become an independent designer yeah. um, just by observing the conditions my clients were living in like you said with your your patients of what do you mean there's no coffee table there's not even a sofa to sit on. <laughs> but, um yeah i just started realizing how sensitive I was. And then I, I noticed how exhausted I would get when I was with people, even people that I enjoyed being with, I'd be wiped out the next day. And then I, I found out about what it is to be an HSP, a highly sensitive person and an empath. And I have synesthesia, which is also very interesting. And that's what helps me read spaces also. And so now that I understand it, I, I can manage it and use it to my benefit. And I know how to pull back mm -hmm. when I have to. Can you um, define synesthesia for the audience? Sure. Um, synesthesia, from my understanding, is a neurological phenomenon that presents usually in highly creative people. But I think more people have it they're just not tuned into themselves. Um, so when one sense is stimulated, it stimulates a second sense, sometimes a third or a fourth, that becomes overwhelming. Um, I don't have that. I maybe have one or two connected. So for example, if I listen to music, like if I'm driving, I can't listen to classical music because I start seeing costumes, architecture, draperies, furniture, everything. It's a complete distraction. Uh, when I listen to music, I might see shapes and colors. I might look at a shape and I can feel, like if I see um, aluminum foil that's bunched up, you and I know if you touch it, you squash it, there's nothing to it, but it looks sharp, so it feels sharp to me. Um, so it's just there's some color combinations I found find delicious and I can taste them like turquoise and like a tomato red. It's just delicious. To me. <laughs> so it's fascinating. Everybody has it to some degree or another. And again, artistic people have it more. But I also made the connection how it may have affected me as a child. I have undiagnosed learning differences. And I remember thinking that certain numbers were light and some numbers got dark. And let's say from one to six, I could see them. I didn't know it at the time, just looking back, it's like, why did I have such a hard time with math? Because I couldn't see the numbers. And then seven to nine got darker and darker. Mm -hmm. And uh, some people taste shapes. Anyway, it's a fascinating subject, but it does affect your whole life if, if you look into it and try to figure out, like retrofit how things were for you. You go, oh, well, guess what? Maybe this is what it is. So it helps me pick up on what's making noise in a room for someone because I feel the lighting or I taste the lighting that's awful. I don't taste it in my mouth, but I taste it in my mind and it's yeah. <laughs> and, and it helps. Yeah, it makes a difference. So it's hard to explain to a client, but I just use it as a tool. Yeah, no, I think that's it. Your explanation was very helpful. And I, it sounds like, 
even though traditional school was a challenge for you, it sounds like your mother really was a protective factor in your overall development and just really exposed you to, to arts and kind of was able to kind of steer you in that direction. Um, do you think if you grew up in the United States, you would have had the same experience or do you think there's something special about Mexico City? I think that I got a extra super bonus by growing up in Latin and Mexico City and uh, being exposed to so much beauty and music and the food is beautiful, it tastes wonderful, it's a, it's a sensory paradise. And um, I was thinking this morning that in Mexico City or in Mexico, I, I, probably not very different now, maybe a little more protected, but famous people were just, you'd see them in a restaurant, you'd see them in the theater. They were well known, but they were people. And yeah. so you might go to lunch with someone and you'd see a famous actor. I remember seeing Burt Lancaster in a restaurant one time. They felt comfortable enough in Mexico, whether they were foreign famous people or local famous people. And so people are very open about sharing things and their homes and their talents. And um, I grew up knowing uh, people in the arts and the theater. So I was exposed to so much. I don't know how easily that could have happened here unless you were in part of a very special family. Whereas where I grew up, my circumstances were a little unique, but still it was open to many more people. Yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely got a good deal. Yeah, sounds that way. Yeah. Can, you, can you talk a little, I mean, I'm assuming you're still connected with Mexico City and kind of the art community in Latin America in general. And my intuition is that there's been increased focus in art and design in that part of the world but can you speak a little bit to what is kind of going on there i i wish i were more connected than i am but i have uh, friends that i went to school with i went to a school from kindergarten all the way to 11th grade so we were together for our whole lives essentially and some of those classmates are accomplished artists, architects, um, film directors. So I get to see through social media sometimes the work they're producing and the museums that are constantly being recreated in old buildings. And it's just beautiful. There's no end to it. And because of the connection with archaeology and history, um, Pun intended, they love to dig into all kinds of information and it, it's wonderful. So it's, it's ever evolving mm -hmm. and it's just a part of being from Mexico that you're exposed to art. You can't not be, it's everywhere. It's really interesting because I feel like the average American, when you say Mexico, they think of partying in Cancun. Yeah. Like a, a beach, uh, an umbrella, and a beer in your hand with a piece of lime stuck in it, or something. There's, yeah. it's so, there's so much more to it. <laughs> okay. Um, 
yeah, that's always been my intuition. I haven't spent much time in Mexico. It's kind of on the list, most specifically for kind of the art art community um, or the wellness wellness community. Um, knowing what you know now, so given your background and the beautiful experience you had as a child in Mexico City and, you know, having been settled for quite some time in Dallas, Texas. Um, what do you think are the challenges with raising children in the United States who might have similar, like a similar life path to you in terms of that traditional schooling is not their thing? What what are the challenges I see for children being raised in the States, essentially? Yeah. yeah. Um, that they're always indoors. And, and even before these last two devastating years, it's everything is inside. Yeah. I mean, I used to sit in parks with our paper and our brushes and our pencils and draw a tree. And it was a real tree looking at me. It wasn't something on a computer. I think just being out in the elements and um, getting children out of malls and into museums. It's the same thing. It's an air-conditioned building. There's a lot to look at. You can walk around. But I never thought of it that way. But that's what museums have become, is the mall. Mm -hmm. But it's so noisy. Like, how many senses can you filter through at one time? Museums are quiet for a good reason, because you have to listen to what the art is expressing. And I think children are being shortchanged. There's plenty of museums to go to everywhere. Yeah. And um, instead of, uh, yeah, a store that sells crayons, you know, go to the Modern Art Museum. There's, I don't know what city is in. I have some friends that are very creative and find incredible places to take their children. There's some museum in the States, I need to look into it. There's an enormous room, they sent me pictures filled with art supplies. Anything you want, you just go in and your kid can spend two hours there drawing, painting, making something. They're actually using their hands and their imagination. I'm sure they walk through the museum a little bit to get inspired. And if not, just being in that room and it's beautifully arranged and that's fantastic. Yeah, I have found that many children, we tend to ebb and flow in the United States and it definitely depends on what part of the country you're in. But I feel like we've been on like a lull of exposing kids to the art world, um, unless you have a parent that is attuned to that space. Um, and, and I think that's going to be a major problem for our future, like as a country, because I feel like many other countries have been focused so much on creativity and trying to do innovation and learning from like what our strengths have been in the past. Um, I feel like we're slacking a little bit in the appreciation of the art world departments here. It's very passive instead yeah. of active. And yeah. it's all on a screen. Yeah. And art right now, I mean, I love graphic art, but it's, you're trying to make one dimensional surfaces look three dimensional. How about painting on a canvas? <laughs> using oils and a spatula and things yeah. can jump out. 
Yeah, it's it's very interesting. You're giving me so much to think about. Your questions are great. Thank you. Oh, I mean, I'd say these are some of the things because I used to work with children so much and I've worked with children in different countries. And I think the number one thing I've learned from those experiences is that many of those kids are supposed to be walking a very creative path. And depending on what part of the world they're in, there may not be access to having the same kinds of experiences that you um, that you shared, um, or there is fighting over allowing your young child to walk that path out of fear that they're never going to be able to have a career. Artist. Yeah. Yes. Um, and that certainly was my experience in China, despite the fact that Shanghai has turned into, you know, like a major like, um, art capital. So there's still a lot of um, cultural components, but I think the majority of kids in the world today just are not exposed, which makes me sad. Yeah, I mean, there are arts and crafts, but it's different. It's a whole, it's a start, definitely a start, but they need to look at paintings. I have incredible art books that my mom had that are now my treasures and they're full of like each book, she would buy one once a month and it featured a different artist. My dream is to have an art class and teach children that have never heard of Degas or Monet or anything, just look at it and now let's paint something and that don't copy, but this is their technique. Now you interpret it and do whatever you like. Um, that's, I would like to pay back what Sylvia did for us, our art teacher, and just expose children to something like that. Yeah, it's a beautiful gift to have a teacher um, who sees the world in that way, right? Because it also takes a special soul to be able to take whatever environment you're in and to be able to provide an experience um, for kids and consistently do it like in an art school setting is a real gift to yeah. the community. Um, so thinking back about your time in Mexico City, your childhood, do you think that the, it sounds like you had a pretty strong community there as well. So do you feel like that also played a part in terms of your ability to just like safely walk a more creative path? Are you saying that that environment helped me? Yeah. So, yeah, as I, I was taking inventory this morning of my mom's friends mm -hmm. and they all were into art in some way. Yeah. Theater, some crocheted, some did this, did that. So is it the chicken or the egg? Is it, these were all creative women that found each other? Well, they all had other things that connected them, but were they artistic? Because how could you not be when you're there? Sounds or, yeah. I don't know. So they would also have their own things and they'd sit around and some would, you know, crochet blankets or sew or have coffee and they would spend time together, but it was all around you know, are you going to see this play or have you seen this barn film? That's all that I ever knew. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, it would be odd that I would not be in the world that I'm in, but it, it's, and it's wonderful. And I still love watching interesting films and watching how they're directed. And the other night I, was, I watched an hour and a half interview with Mike Nichols mm -hmm. and how he started perceiving 
things as a child. When he went to the theater, he didn't see him as the audience. He saw him as a director, as a child, his comments. I thought, that's incredible. That was already part of who he was. It just took time to develop. Yeah. Yeah, I think children, you know, express their unique gifts at a very young age. And I, I think some cultures do a better job of, of cultivating those gifts and putting kids into environments where they're going to kind of just naturally blossom. Um, and I feel like in the United States, we still try to force kids into a box. Um, and I think um, that is probably the reason why we have so much anxiety. So then everyone's anxious and now we've been locked in our homes that are not designed to calm the nervous system. So it's a little wonder why, you know, parts of this country are kind of falling apart these days. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> you said it beautifully. So if you were going to give like the average person in the United States some advice in order, like, God forbid we go through another lockdown, some like a couple tips of what to do in their space to immediately shift the energy or the mood so that everyone could survive being in the home again. What would you like? <laughs> um, first thing I would do is open the blinds, open the shades, open the curtains, whatever you have. Uh, recognize what that light looks like, then close them and turn on the electric light that you have in the room and compare it. And mm -hmm. if it's nowhere near the same color, do not turn that electric light on until you replace it for something healthier. There's plenty of options available, um, but sunlight is basic to function. Just by having natural light, your whole demeanor, as you well know, can change and relax. Um, I figured something out by accident. I don't remember how it happened, but there are people that, and I'm don't get into uh, hoarding at all. That's a whole different issue, specialty, very complicated situation, but just your regular messy home. We all have our spots. Um, you become very used to seeing them, so you don't even notice them anymore. You walk over them, you push it, you ignore it, you throw something else over it. Somehow I figured out if you take a hand mirror and stand with your back to a room, and you see it through the mirror, you will see what's really there, not what you're used to seeing. And that okay. might, yeah, I have no idea how that happened, but it's fascinating. And so then you go, oh, now I, I see it. And then it would be easier to just, you know, just devote a little bit of time to just getting rid of one little pile. If it's a lot, I was telling somebody yesterday, cover, cover things up with a towel or a sheet, not white, not a patterned sheet, and cover up sections and just work on one at a time so that you're not overwhelmed. Mm. Just the, what I like calling visual noise of a room, yeah. if you eliminate that, Again, most people are not minimalists, they're maximalists. And right now things are coming in and they're not going out. Yeah. And so just light and clutter 
will just make you feel so much better, eliminating the clutter and adding natural light. Okay, so light and clutter, those are the two things that we need to kind of be focused on to prepare in case, just in case. That's a, a quick fix that doesn't require purchasing much of anything, maybe a light bulb or two, but it's really mostly getting rid of instead of adding. Yeah, no, it's interesting because during COVID, um, I stay as many people did with family. And my the biggest argument <laughs> that my mother and I ever had was over the lighting in the place because <laughs> I need sunshine, but technically if you read my mother's astrology chart, it's in her chart that says like how important the sun, the sun is. And her home, I think just by nature of like the like the shade of the trees can get very, very dark. And it's like, and so you need to turn on the lights even if the sun is out. And she's got enough lighting, but she chooses not to turn it on. So I'd come home and be like, why are you sitting in the dark? And she's like, well, I don't need to have the lights on. I'm like, no, but you do for your own like psychological <laughs> well-being. So we used to get into a little bit of a, a tip because I'd go and turn all the lights on during the day and she was like, She's like, it's not necessary. Yeah, well, now she can listen to this podcast and like, I've got an expert like saying that light is one of the two things we should be like focused on during pandemic. And you didn't tell me ahead of time to say this so your mother could hear it. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Well, um, as we wrap up, I want to give you some time to talk about how people can reach you um, and any current projects you're working on that people can support you with. Oh, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. And I'm going to think about so much of what we've spoken about today. It's been great. Um, the name of our business is thegoldtouch.net. And uh, my husband's name is Robert Gold. And that's where the Gold Touch came in. And um, we have a very unique business where we have combined interior design, brain science, sensory issues, and transformational coaching to help entire families um, transform inside and outside. And um, we are both highly sensitive people and empaths and um, we feel that we have been put together, which is relatively recently, we met and married just three years ago, um, to change the world in our way, to create awareness in our way. And um, we have similar views on things that have come together in a very interesting way. Uh, before I get into that, I'd like to mention my current project is I recently gave a webinar in Spanish, as a matter of fact, about the ties between color and inner peace. And um, it's just an introductory uh, webinar for people to learn more about how I see the world and how I would like them to see the world so that they can feel better. And so I'd love to help people uh, learn a little bit more with, about that. And 
the connection with my husband, how we see things before we met, he had written a manuscript for a novel called Liberty 2041. And the premise was of um, technology that would come after the internet imploded and what would come next. And he came up with a very intuitive sensory type of technology that revolved around colors and senses and light. Again, we had never met up until this point. <laughs> and um, he thought he had invented synesthesia through technology. And then I come along and go, oh, by the way, it exists and I have it. <laughs> and so we've been able to combine our our views of the world and we are now rewriting and have started publishing his manuscript in episodes. And it's, it's a, like a transformational experience through kids in 2041 who, who have perceptions of the world. Some may be on the spectrum. We don't label anything or anybody. Um, and they're brilliant and their mission is to repair the world in 2041. And so they use this intuitive technology and become connected with themselves and their senses and their emotions to do it. So basically their superpowers yeah. is who they are already, who they were already. And um, so those are our projects right now is writing these stories and finding ways to reach people so we can help them transform their lives. I think it's really beautiful, the work that you guys are doing because we're at such a pivotal moment in our evolution and history. And I, I've always believed that one of the ways that you can get more people to kind of transition into like a new way of living is through design and making things um, more beautiful, um, but also just more in alignment with who we authentically are. And I think a lot of the design in many, many places, like we've lost touch with the way we used to do this in ancient times. There was always a connection to the people, to the nature, and there's always a reason for why you built something. And we've kind of lost touch on that. So I think it's, um, you guys are doing amazing work, both with his his books and your design, your design practice to kind of help people transition into this new way of being. So thank you. Thank you so much. I, I'm thrilled that we have met and I'm thrilled that we're so aligned in the way that we think and thank you for the validation. I really value that. You're welcome. You're welcome. We'll have to have you back on in like a few months and to talk about your relationship with your husband. All right. <laughs> Mostly since you guys met, you guys must have met 2016? Late 2017. Late 2017, okay. Yeah. It feels like a beautiful love story. It is meant to be. It just took us 60 years to meet each other. <laughs> That's why you're going to come back because you're going to talk about that. <laughs> the next generation realize sometimes it does take that long. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time. Um, and um, we'll look forward to having you back sometime in the future. I look forward to it. Thank you so much. If you would like some more information, please visit our website at www 
drjenniferbrodes.com or reach out to Dr. Jenny on Instagram at her handle at jenniferbrodes or feel free to send her an email at drjenny at drjenniferbrodes.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes or have any questions about the information you heard in this episode, please do not hesitate to reach out. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to your favorite podcast platform and leave us a review. And if there's anything else that you need, please don't hesitate to reach out. Please also remember that the information in this podcast is for informational use only please go ahead and consult your medical team or any other advisors that you have regarding any questions about your mental health or anything that um, may have been triggered during this episode. I hope you have a wonderful day and we'll look forward to connecting with you soon.